I'm Natalie Jackson, Director of Totally Runnable Limited and non-profit C-Sporty B-Sporty and welcome to C-Sporty B-Sporty, the podcast. In this series, we are talking all things big challenges. Why? Because I'm taking on what might well be considered a crazy challenge to run around 100 miles across Yorkshire in England. Totally Runnable and C-Sporty B-Sporty are based in Yorkshire and we're working in schools across the north of England. I'll be raising awareness as I go about the gender sport gap in primary schools and the ways we can all work to close it. And my guest today is yet another running legend, I might say. Moira O'Sullivan is a mountain runner, orienteer and adventure racer, multiple Irish National Adventure Race Series winner, Irish mountain running champion. She was the first person ever to complete the Wicklow round and a Dennis Rankin round finisher. She has also won the Morn Mountain Marathon three times. Her books are honest, funny, inspiring. Moira, welcome. <laughs> Thanks. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> I'm sorry, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this series no no pleasure it's lovely to finally meet you and speak with you we have been introduced we've not actually met in real life but we've been introduced by dr juliet mcgratton who also has a brilliant running book out that um i'm hoping to do some promotion for her in the next few weeks i'm interviewing her on our facebook page um but yes i was so excited to be introduced to you and so excited to to hear that you were up for being a part of the series um, before we get into the challenges you've done and your books, we need to start, as ever, with our C Sporty B Sporty game, 11 Things Everyone Should Know About Moira Sullivan. Oh, okay. <laughs> People right. listening can't see your face, but I can see your face. You don't seem happy about this game. <laughs> it's easy. Surely, you just need to pick. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll go quick. So, cake or pie? Cake. Cats or dogs? Oh, I have a dog, but I prefer cats. <laughs> sorry, sorry to the dog. <laughs> Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Warm weather or cold weather? Oh, warm. God, no, cold. Warm. Uh, love Actually or Bend It Like Beckham? Love Actually. Hot chocolate or coffee? Oh, coffee. God, yeah. Digital watch or analog watch? Digital. Box sets or movies? Uh, box sets. They're just longer and I don't have to make as many choices. <laughs> Singing or dancing? Oh God, neither. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Zero. No, that's definitely not. Neither. Watching football or watching tennis? Tennis. And last question, cardio or weights? Cardio. Yeah, absolutely. Felt like, felt like I could have guessed that one. <laughs> Although I feel the warm weather and cold weather, you, you have done a lot of running in, in cold weather. So I thought you might be a fan of the cold. No, I actually lived in Kenya for seven years in my 20s. So I think my, my body got acclimatized to that. Uh, I wasn't really running at the time, to be fair. Thank God, because the Kenyans are very fast. So I would have just been <laughs> an embarrassment out there. But uh, yeah, so and I've lived uh, and worked in places like Cambodia and Nepal and Vietnam. So um, yeah, I prefer the warm to the cold, but I like running in the cold just because I like to challenge myself and I know how much I don't like it. So it's uh, yeah, and then you get to warm up afterwards. <laughs> so your love of a challenge has overcome your love of the, uh, the warm weather somehow, I feel. Yeah, I think I think sometimes 
it goes back to living in Kenya where it was a developing country and everything was just hard and, you know, even it was dangerous and sometimes you'd have water shortages and food shortages and rationing of electricity and things like that. And we lived in slums so you could see how hard life was. And then when I came back to Ireland when I was 30, I just felt that life was just too easy. And I think that's why I took up mountain running because I just needed a challenge. And I I found that life was just, you know, you could order things online and things when a bus would turn up on time and you would get paid your salary every month. Things that you take for granted were just, everything was just so easy in comparison. So yeah, mountain running put an element of um, unknown back into my life, which I really missed. And had you done that before? So when, how old were you when you moved out there? 23. Okay. And had you been a runner before? Were you a runner growing up? I kind of just did athletics, you know, at school until I was about 16. Um, just kind of more short sprints and stuff. And I kind of, I just gave it up to do A-levels and then I took up rugby. I went to York University, actually. You're saying you're based in Yorkshire. And it's a lovely yeah. university. I really, really enjoyed my time there. But I didn't, it was more kind of uh, team sports I did. Um, and then when I went to Kenya, I eventually started running with a group called the Hash House Harriers. It's, it's a world, it's one that's all around the world. It's kind of like, they call themselves a drinking club with a running problem. So yeah, it's a weird thing. Um, but it's a really nice way to get to know people within a, like a city. You can just rock up to, like I've rocked up to places like Dhaka and, uh, in Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, and you just kind of rock up to a city and you, there's always a, a Hash House Harriers group there. And it means you can go for a run with those guys and then drink beer. Maybe before, <laughs> normally afterwards, but sometimes before and during, which is not, which is not very healthy. So it's, but it's great crack. And, they, and the way they work is that, you know, that they have, they set a course. And so the front runners have to go and find the course. So the slower runners then catch up. So it's a really, it's a really good way of keeping everyone together. So, and all abilities can, can, can join in. Sounds like a super sociable way of doing running. Yeah, no, it is. It just hasn't really taken off in developed countries because we've got other options. Um, but when there's, you know, there aren't those things as park runs and stuff like that in a lot of developing countries. So um, it's, it just fills that gap. Mm, yeah, we don't know how lucky we are. I think it's uh, one of those things that you do take things for granted. Yeah. Mm. So how did it progress from, because it progressed from sort of running and running socially, I guess, to mountain running, the orienteering, the adventure running. Um, you talk, I didn't really, I remember reading your, your earlier book, um, Mud, Sweat, Tears, and I didn't even know what adventure running was. And it's not even just running, is it? There's all sorts of, it's adventure racing, isn't it? Tell us a bit about that. How did you progress through the, through the stages? by accident <laughs> I, I blame certain in, individuals who are a very bad influence on me I came I when I was in Nairobi um I knew a girl called Avril and she knew I was moving back to Ireland and she said oh if you go back to Ireland if you ever end up in Dublin you should you know look up my brother he's just runs and does really mad things like mountain running and adventure racing I'm like yeah what and it just so happened that I did end up in Dublin working for um an NGO there and uh yeah, he just said, okay, you know, there's a mountain race on Wednesday. Do you want to come? So I was like, sure. And it was a totally baptism from hell. Like it was just cold, wet, windy, boggy, misty. I was just like, what am I doing? I nearly lost, you know, everyone was running up the hill and I could barely climb up it. 
And uh, it was totally that type of fun that's not t- fun at the time. But afterwards, you're like, geez, that was great. When's the next one? Um, so that, I got kind of started on that. That's, that's running with the Irish Mountain Running Association. So um, Emra on there. And to be fair, over the years, they've gone from strength to strength. They, they have races, two, three, three races a uh, week now at this stage, um, all around the country. So, and then kind of when I was, this is back in 2006, um, the MRS season would finish and then people would start adventure racing and that's kind of like off-road triathlons, but it's at the time it's, um, for groups of four teams and there has to be, um, they have to be mixed teams, mixed gender. So they're normally the fastest way is to have one girl and three guys. Um, the girls often find themselves calling themselves mandatory kit. Because we have to, we have to be brought along, which is isn't very isn't a very positive way to be considered. No, not empowering, is it? No, but you know that's and they they would some of these races would last for days, um, and you'd be mountain biking, kayaking, mountain running, and you could be also like rock climbing and you know whatever outdoor thing, they could throw at you. They would. Um, so I went to the World Adventure Racing Championships in Scotland. And I crashed and burned. I just couldn't do, I hadn't had children at this stage. And so I, I was terrible sleep deprivation. So I was hallucinating and I just kind of, yeah, I, I, after three days, I just couldn't do it anymore. So, which wasn't very good. Um, but then I just said, well, actually really what I do like is mountain running. Um, because I just like being on my feet. It's just simple. I don't have to bother with a bike. Um, I'm not a great fan of water. <laughs> So yeah, it, it just, it, it was kind of a trial and error thing. And I, I'm really glad I did the adventure racing. I think I learned a lot about myself and what I do like and what I don't like. Um, and so, yeah, and really confirmed to me, I like mountain running. And you've done an awful lot of mountain running since then. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, and, and, and you know, this, I would uh, equally when I started just decided to, to concentrate on mountain running. I met a guy called Andrew McCarthy and he was, he, we teamed up to do the Rogaine, which is like a 24 hour, it's like a 24 hour treasure hunt. So you've got, you plot lots of points on a map and you have to get as many points as you can within 24 hours and get back to the start again. So we covered like a hundred kilometers, but, um, you know, climbed around 6,000 meters of climb, which is in comparison to Everest, that's like two thirds of Everest. Um, and but I couldn't navigate. So I just was looking at him amazing how he could find these flags in the middle of just mountains. Like, how'd you know it was here? And how'd you know it was in this forest? And I got really fascinated by navigation and just, uh, I learned to just watch him do what he was doing and learned an awful lot and asked him a lot of questions and badgered him a lot. Um, and I, then this thing about the Wicklow round came up, which is, if anyone's kind of been is in England, they would have heard maybe of the Bob Graham round in the Lake District, which is like um, a, a circuit of 42 peaks in the Lake District to be completed within 24 hours. So the Wicklow round was the equivalent in Ireland, but it just started in 2007 and nobody had done it. So Andrew was like, it's so possible. It's like, but it's the same, it's the same distance and climb as we just did in the Rogaine. So we went out to come and have a look again. I wasn't, you know, I was just tagging along. It was his kind of plan and he, he was the one who believed in it. Um, and I think the lesson there for me is like, sometimes, especially with women, we kind of need somebody to, to tell us we can do something or somebody who drags us along to something. Cause I don't think I would have had the initiative myself just to be able to, I just didn't have the knowledge or the skill or anything to do it on my own. 
So I, I'm very indebted to the likes of Andrew and also Paul, who initially um, introduced me to the sport. And actually, I still run with Paul. I, thank God he's now in his 50s. So he slowed down <laughs> so I can finally keep up with him. And uh, we go, we, we run quite a lot together, just these long distance challenges because we just enjoy a day out in the hills together now, you know. I think that's really interesting what you said about women and maybe needing somebody to encourage you or tell you you can do it. And I do, obviously it's not, it's not universal, but certainly in the work that we do and in the, the start to run courses and things like that, actually it is, it's often women who come on those courses and it's often women who maybe they've got an inkling that they might like to run or they might like to do more than they, they maybe have done before in, in whatever sphere. But actually it's, oh, well, my friend was going, so I went along. Or like, I actually, it often is somebody else that's all, oh, I wanted to go, but then I heard someone else was going and then I went with them. There's definitely something about... I think, I think back in 2006, you know, there, was, there wasn't that many women who were into mountain running. And the ones I knew were actually very kind of humble and a bit meek in a way. They were, they were hard as anything, you know. They were tough women. But in terms of believing in themselves, I always thought that they were, you know, they, did, they undersold themselves a lot. So it was the guys who would kind of bring along the girls. It was the guys who were, you know, said, oh, you know, Paul was, was helping out his sister, Avril, who was badgering her, said, will you look after that girl, Maura? But equally, you know, his boyfriends who was p- pulling their girlfriends along or whatever, you know, to say, to get them into the sport. And I think now in 2021, um, I feel a responsibility at the age of 45 that I need to be helping women to do this. It should be women helping women, um, not just expecting the guys just to do it. Um, so, you know, I've started a company to, to teach navigation and mountain running navigation and in particular, I'd have men and women coming t- to the same course and the man would be like, yeah, I kind of know something, you know, I used to be in the scouts, I, I did a bit of geography, you know, you're like, yeah, that's fine. And then the woman would be like, oh my God, I would get lost getting out of a paper bag. They, and they would tell me about the time they were up some mountain and they were so lost and they were just so useless. And so I get the two stories and then we'd be out in the mountain and to be totally fair, they were about the same. Just you know uh and it wasn't i don't think i just don't understand why women undersell themselves so much um i don't know what it is about our why there's so little self-confidence i heard a really interesting podcast though recently about maybe it's because we just are quite perfectionist that whenever we we're not great at something we just kind of back off but for whatever reason we need to find a fix to it um and as you said, with your work about, you know, t- you can't be what you can't see. So I do try and, you know, I, I go on social media and I show what I'm doing so you can see. But I also feel a responsibility to literally drag particularly women out by the scruff of the neck and saying, you can navigate. And if you get a map and compass, I swear to God, you will. The mountains open up for you and the adventures will, re- will open up and you will be amazed at the world that's lying out there. And to be fair, as a woman, I feel, I feel safer in the mountains than I do on the streets of London because the people who end up out there are, will help each other out. And to be fair, I'm not carrying as much money. I'm not carrying anything valuable out there, really. So nobody's going to get me. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think we have it in our minds what's dangerous. And often when we actually do those dangerous things, it's not as bad as you thought. 
I, yeah, there's so much of that, that that resonates with me. And we know, I mean, we know from the work that we do in primary schools that this is this is something that, and I don't believe it's inherent. I don't believe girls are this way and boys are this way. I think you end up creating that because we socialise girls and boys so differently. Um, you know, that, and there's that this thing of girls are... I was listening to a podcast the other day. Glennon Doyle has a really good podcast that I was listening to. And it, it was about the, the concept of how we bring girls up and how we bring boys up and, and telling girls to, to be careful or to be quiet or to be good or, you know, all of that stuff that we socialise. And there are, you know, really toxic ways that we socialise boys and they're, you know, as much of a problem. But particularly around this idea of self lack of self-confidence and, and needing, needing to be pushed a bit and needing to, you know, the the courses that we do that are about, running a 5k and it's you know it's eight weeks and by the end of the or it's six weeks or it's eight weeks and by the end of the the course you're running a 5k actually the reason they are brilliant and the reason they you know I, I love the work that we do with those is that we have adult women professionals in in every other area of their lives you know they are bringing up children uh, they are running businesses they are you know professionals in high levels of of big businesses but actually they don't know in their hearts that if they wanted to run a 5k in six weeks they could and once you once you show somebody that actually you can see it open up you can see you can hear what they're saying you know it it, it does blow their minds not in a not in a way that it shouldn't you know because actually they, yes that you know they, they are capable of far more than they thought but actually realizing you were capable of far more than you thought it's exactly what i did when i first started running i think i'd always believed that i wasn't good at it or i wasn't i really wasn't a runner or you know all of that and i think the uh, you you believe that there were walls that you've just run through and the wall wasn't there. Actually, what else can you do? I think one of the things, like that's why I quite like orienteering because orienteering is, um, it's actually a really family-friendly sport. So you when you go to uh, an event, you'll have six courses normally laid on. So they'll be the top ones, which would be like the brown course, where it's, you know, it's the skinny guys who can just leap over mountains and, and through forests. and But then you go all the way down to the yellow course, which would be like two kilometers. And I would bring my boys on it. You know, I have a, a five and seven year old. And so we walk around the course and we walk the dog. And that's a two kilometer walk. And they find like a bit of a treasure hunt. So they've got to find nine flags on the way. But the great thing about orienteering is that you start all at different times. It's the most social, brilliantly socially distant sport going because you don't want people to follow each other. But what it does mean is that when you go out, nobody knows how good you are, how fast you are, how slow you are. You're just you and your map trying to find these flags. And by the time you get back, the results, they're online, but nobody's going to look. So it's I, I quite like it because I can get really lost and nobody knows until I rock, come back <laughs> and I go, oh, no, that was. Yeah, no, I, no, I did really well there. <laughs> yeah, I find everything, you know, just so enjoying the mountains. Yeah. You get, and, or, you know, so it's really so nobody ca- knows how you are so so i think orienteering as composed to 5k race where it's very obvious if you're fast or slow orienteering is actually a great way of not only improving your navigation and also having a course that you could do with your family but you can go as slow as you want or as fast as you want and nobody will see so i think you, there are just clever things you can do to encourage people to get into uh, running sports and you do so you do a lot of things with your business then tell us about your business how did it how did it come about um I love the name of it mostly because I I didn't realize when I first read it I didn't realize it was like a phrase tell me about that happy out like how are you doing happy out grand it it's just an Irish way of saying stuff you know it's just it's 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 kind of a a strange start to the the to a business but 
um, basically what happened was um, in 2018, um, you know, I had two kids and my husband and my husband got ill. Um, he just, it was a very slow progression um, in that he was, uh, he was diagnosed with depression and within, within four months, he just couldn't take it anymore and he took his life two days after Christmas, so 27th of December, 2018. And I had been a stay-at-home mom. I'd been writing books a bit, but it was just primarily, uh, I was a housewife and caregiver and I needed to get, I had needed an income, just needed an income. Um, I had already started my mountain leader training, which is uh, it's a course that helps qualifies you to bring people into the mountains, um, to, uh, within UK and Ireland. But it's really it's a walking course. So I said, well, I love mountain running. I, as a female, have particularly got so much out of mountain running and knowing how to use a map and compass and just to run through the mountains. So that's always helped me mentally and physically and you know I don't think I could have saved my husband I I'm not a doctor um but I I know that the outdoors have been helped me manage my own health um so maybe I could help other people manage their mental and physical health by being able to to get out in the mountains you know I can't I can't help some if somebody's depressed it's it's a medical thing so you know I, it's uh, but maybe I could do right some of the balance so um yeah so I started bringing people out and now it's you know I do um I do a lot of things of trying to help I've done kind of like the Dennis Rankin round which is like the Bob Graham round in Northern Ireland in the Moher Mountains so people want to kind of challenge themselves and I help them prepare for that but it was just, you know, even I've done to do this Parents Up Peaks course where parents just want to bring their kids in the, into the, the outdoors. And really for over the sake of four hours, you can teach somebody the basics about safety, how to prepare before going out, what you need to wear, what you need to eat, what you need to bring and how you plan your route. And there's lots of little, you know, walks you can do with kids which are not going to put them off, off the outdoors for life, which is which is what you really fear. Um, so... I think, I think we, especially after lockdown, we're realizing how important the outdoors are. So I hope I'm, you know, I'm happy to be a cog in that process, um, of, of helping people to be able to access it, access the outdoors, you know. And that definitely, you know, from looking at your website and seeing the courses and things that you do, it definitely, it is. And it comes back to that thing of it being empowering. You know, I, I would, I have a three-year-old and I wouldn't know where to start in getting her into the outdoors. I know that I would like that for her, but actually I don't know how to do that. I'm, you know, it's adventurous enough for me. And I, you know, we, we've talked about my, my challenge, but it's adventurous, it's adventurous enough for me to run a hundred miles over a week. The stuff that, that you do and the sort of outdoors and mountains can definitely seem totally overwhelming and like a step too far and like it's the wilderness you don't want to that's that's dangerous enough for me I wouldn't go out and do that necessarily without some super planning and feeling like I knew what I'm not going to take a three-year-old out or you know that it, I like I like the idea of that I definitely need to come on one of your parents on peaks courses for sure um, but I think also that you know um it's been like the the journey with starting happy out adventures and how it how in, it, what was actually interesting was that whenever Pete died um running actually wasn't there for me I actually found that if I started running 
you know, I was keeping everything, trying to keep the show on the road, you know, and keeping quite things, uh, quite suppressed at the house because I just had to, I had to get up, but I had to eat and I had to keep mind the boys and I had to mm. just keep the show on the road. And when I would go out for a run, all of a sudden my brain would go, phew, now I can release everything. So I would just have panic attacks and with the thoughts that, oh my God, I'm a widow. Oh my God, at the age of 43, uh, I'm, I'm a single mom. This was not the plan. Um, and that was quite startling. So I actually, for the first, definitely for the six, set, first six, seven months, I spent more time walking than actual running. And I think, you know, I think running is too often put as a panacea to solve everything. Oh, if only go for a run, you'll be fine. But I think we just have to be careful with that. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes by me slowing down and walking, I actually met a different set of people. And I walk with them in the mountains and people, you know, like this good friend, Rachie, who I met, um, who she had gone through some terrible accidents and she just lost her mom and she'd been in a terrible bike accident and lost a good friend of hers. And she was out, she was training to be an outdoor instructor and we would just go out into the mountains and do our, we were practicing for our qualification and, but we just chat and we, and I think that was very healing for both of us. Um, so yeah. And I wrote about her, I wrote a, a book about that, that, that year and about how, what worked and what didn't work, um, in terms of running and the outdoors and the family um it's called a quarter glass of milk um because I think you know whenever Pete died that's what I felt like it was like um you know I felt like I had a, a full glass of milk and our lives were going really well we had you know we had a good job he had a good job we had, we, loved, we lived in a really lovely place we have two lovely kids and um it was just overnight the the glass was tipped over and the milk spilt. And I was like, well, you know, they say don't cry over spilt milk, but that's all I want to do is just sob about this. And then I felt after, you know, a little bit of time that the glass had been brightened and there was a quarter left. It wasn't like there was a half where I could say, well, depends how you look at it. There's goods, bads. There's definitely a quarter in that, you know, three quarters had gone when Pete died. So I was like, well, do I just weep forever with the quarters remaining or do I get on with what I have? And I think that's the question whenever things go hard in life. Do you, do you say that's, I can't do it anymore or do I just get on with what I have? So that's kind of what the book was trying to do. Um, unfortunately it was good as well as towards the end, I did actually re was able to go back out running and I realized that what helped me most was really two things. It was being in the mountains, doing something I loved, which for me is the mountains, but for other people I've noticed that can be swimming, that can be crocheting a gun with wallet, you know? So being something I loved and being with people who really loved and supported me. And that turned out to be the mountain community, not necessarily the mountain running community, but they were very supportive. They actually, I went out and did a winter Dennis Rankin round. So ran the, the end of January in, in, on towards the, the anniversary of Pete's um, death. I decided to do that run, do a 90 kilometer run in the mountains, but I asked to be joined by lots of mountain people and many people turned up and it was, a lovely day and you know we didn't have to say what we were doing but we all knew why we were there and I thought it was you know really poignant to be I think that's the thing about running in the dark is that's how depression can sometimes feel like you know you're you're just surrounded by darkness and you just don't ever know when that light's going to come through or if it's ever going to come through and I think that was quite meaningful to me to to, to do that to remember Pete you know what he went through.
uh, and the I mean the book where we we've got to this point without actually mentioning the book, which is um, yeah, silly, isn't it? Because I think that's that's really you know the why I wanted to to talk to you about all of this and why I wanted to to tell more people about the book because I think having read it and I I listened to it on Audible actually you can get it on Audible and listen to it and um and I think it is just one of those books that so many people are affected by suicide you know people that I love dearly have have lost very close people to them they've been very personally affected and it, it is something that we I think people are talking about it more and I think certainly think lockdown we're talking about mental health and you know there's that sort of conversation happening but um yeah it it was amazing to read your book and and how you you know I said before we started recording how how amazing it, it, I I found it reading it and hearing an honest open you know I, I cried with you I laughed with you you know there were bits that it's it's not it's not all a sad book it's a, it's very much a book about hope I think and about what you can get through and and like you say none of that was anything that you chose and I think you know certainly thinking about challenges and and it definitely was you know reading how you did that that Dennis ranking round that you did um there was the community you could feel the community spirit of that with you and it, like you said that actually it's not it wasn't necessarily in your nature to do things in a in a big team or with other people even or um but actually there were so many parallels with actually how you, you like you can't none of us can live life completely without other people um but yeah the the fact that you're talking about it and sharing your story with people I think is is amazing and I think it will I sorry I think it will yeah it will help so many people I do agree with you that there's um a lot of more thank god talk about suicide and, and the implications um but I think what I kind of felt that there was a lot of um people who were like it was it was the sisters who lost a brother or a brother lost a sister or maybe a mother or parent and I know there are young there are young men you know between the ages of 30 and 50 who are taking their own lives and they will have partners and there will be children involved and I think for someone who who is a widow or, or widower because of suicide we're just too busy keeping the show on the road <laughs> So we don't have time to sit down and say, this is our story. But, you know, thank God lockdown happened. So I basically wrote the most of the book during lockdown because there was nothing else to do. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a part of the equation that needs to be um, looked at. And in a way, I wanted the book. I know people, when they're suffering from depression, the last thing they, do, they want to do is pick up a book. But I kind of wanted to say, if you're really thinking about taking your life, and if you really think the world would be better off without you, read this book and then you will realise that it's not true, that you leave a horrendous mess. Things you cannot even guess would happen in terms of people's reaction, in terms of the mess to, to people who've lost then a father or a mother. I still talk to Pete's colleagues who don't know how to process what happened, can't still believe it happened. And they will live that with, with regret, with guilt for the rest of their lives. And the mess is just, it's so hard to even convince people that it's such a bad idea to take your own life because it's such a complicated death. Um, but also I decided to write the book because as a, you know, I, I, when I said living in Kenya, 
in the in the 1990s you know hiv was everywhere and everyone was just dropping down dead from hiv and it was you know there was a lot of movement at the time about awareness and let's talk about this and therefore if we talk about this how do we prevent the spread of hiv and now in this 2021 you know there are antiretrovirals people can live a, a very healthy life living with the disease and that's the way mental health should be if we don't talk about it we can't find the solutions and if we can't find the solutions more people die so in a way i hope that the book, the book will date in 20 years time people say god can you imagine people used to die because they had mental health issues and i you know i think that's that that's i think hopefully the book is part, is going to be part of that jigsaw to stop that happening yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? And it definitely is. It's such it's an, such an important part of the conversation for sure. Um, and the for me, it was it was interesting to to see how you you know the training and everything around doing that challenge. It was using that the challenge as as a sort of I don't know about would you call it a milestone in in moving forward. It was celebrating his life on the anniversary of his death with something big like that. Um, what, what made you, how did you get to that decision to do that? Um, I, I think I did my mountain leader award and then I got bored <laughs> when I, when I have to do the assessment, I was like, now what, now what? And maybe that's kind of what helped me get through that first year was having those big goals. Sometimes I do look back and go, God, I was probably, you know, I did quite a lot in his first year, we, we decided, you know, I just packed up, we have a camper van. I packed up the camper van and just went off for a month to France with the kids. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to drink my way through this holiday. And you know, the kids played in the swimming pool and you know, I, it, it, people were kind of saying you're a single mom and you're going off with the two young kids off to France. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Um, and, but those goals kind of, kind of got me through and they meant that I had something else to think about and something else to plan um and that works for me you know it's 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 that's the thing about grief not just about suicide or it, it's it's just you've got to find your own way through and it's it's that's what makes when you lose somebody so difficult because there is no road road marking or, or path and you have to figure out what works and what doesn't work and you know it's like it's a bit like whenever you have babies and you know i was Somebody suggested a healthcare person said, oh, why don't you join like the bumps and babies um, class and get to sit around and eat scones and drink tea. And I just looked at her, at her in horror. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to go ride my bike. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I actually got really worried that she thought I was insane. But I was like, no, that won't work for me. This is what's going to work for me. And, and but it's really hard to have that kind of level of standing up and confidence and, and you know, Maybe I'm a little, just because I'm a little bit older, I was an older mom that I was able to do that. But it's not always easy for when you're young and you're not sure and people say you should do that and you don't doesn't work and then you don't want to admit that it doesn't work. So it and it is really tricky. I know when I was pregnant, people thought I was um, you know, doing risky things, you know, taking risks. I ran whilst pregnant with, with Lexi up to seven and a half months. And I, I'm not suggesting that everyone should run this, you know, the same thing. I'm not saying everyone should run when they're pregnant, but I'd run a lot before. I was training for what what I think would have been my fastest marathon. It's easy to say though afterwards, isn't it? What would have been my fast, fastest marathon? Where, you know, the week I found out I was pregnant, I think I'd run 17 miles on the, you know, the Sunday before. Uh, so I was in peak condition. I was, I was running when I got pregnant. So um, the idea of stopping running, 
as well as having to stop, you know, be careful and stop doing this and stop doing, you know, it seemed like a, a, a big thing to, it seemed like I was being put in a cage and told, don't move, you know, just don't move, stay there. And that's the best thing for everybody. And it, it definitely wasn't the best thing, you know, for my mental health and for, for keeping me going in. I didn't enjoy being pregnant. And again, I, you know, I say that with full knowledge of the, and the gratitude and everything. It's, it's not something that, that is, um, it came too easily for me really to appreciate how hard it is for, for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I, the, the idea of having to stop running as well, I, you know, that, that would have been awful. So I ran till seven and a half months pregnant and I, I only stopped because of the way other people were with me and, and they were, they were well-meaning. It was certainly was that they weren't saying, oh, you're doing, you know, I didn't feel judgment from them. I felt concern. And at, at seven and a half months pregnant, you don't want to be concerned in anybody. So I think I just sort of the balance of what I was getting out of it compared to what the concern I was causing. And I, not even to not even to people that knew me, I guess people who knew me and and loved me were you know knew me. It was kind of strangers that was the my issue. I was oh, there's people are concerned about me. Um. So yeah, and I think it is yeah that that idea. And and we we were talking before we pressed record about um uh, your your other book that I haven't read that I need to. It's now on my list. Um, tell us about that and tell us about the um, the premise of that and why we all need to be reading that if we have babies or are thinking about having babies or have small humans in our lives. Yeah, no, I, um, a bit like yourself, um, I was quite fit before getting pregnant. And to be, one of my problems was my maternal clock never really ticked. So, um, you know, I I was really kind of putting, putting off being, you know, starting a family. Um, and but I was getting late 30s. So I was like, well, nine or never, you know, um, and I really resisted um, slowing down. I, I was five months pregnant with my first and I did an adventure race up a mountain. Um, and uh, the, See, that's amazing. Yeah, no, Slash that, that, that's, that's in the, <laughs> the book. Um, but I look back and go, God, that was really stupid. But I know, I, so I don't condone it, but I understand why I did it. Because as you said, mentally, I needed to keep moving. Like we got to the kayak section and I rocked up and I said, I'm really sorry, I'm pregnant. I can't get out of the sofa. So I don't think I can get out of a kayak. Can I take a time penalty? And they were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> are, you are you allowed to be on that bike? Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> As I cycled off. Um, and then, and then what was true, you know, people told me your body will tell you when to stop. And I got off the line and very soon after the baby gave me a wallop of a kick. Like, don't you fucking do that again to me. <laughs> So, um, and so, yeah, I was, I was very irresponsible, but thank God. And I do thank God the baby who turns eight today is absolutely fine. It's fine. Um, he's eight. It's fine. He's fine. And it's very sane and everything. But then six weeks after he was born, I actually enlisted a coach who I still work with. Um, so this is, you know, eight years on and he, a guy called Eamon Tilly. And so he, he very, so the second pregnancy was very much. I'm going to get you to do much more strength and conditioning. I'm going to make sure that you're strong enough to get through this so that we can hit the ground running afterwards. Um, and what was great about him was like, you know, where before, before I was pregnant, I would go out for four, five hours, six hour run in the mountains. He was like, okay, we don't need to do that. I can give you a really good session for an hour. So you can find Chankar for an hour. This is going to be high interval. It's going to be so sore but you've done enough and you don't need to be going out for these long, long sessions. So he's made me much, much more efficient in my running um, and in my training. Which is what you need as a parent, Super, if nothing yeah, else, efficiency. I, I, even now today, we're summer and that's the thing about single parent. I need to find, I, I know I can get childcare on a Thursday and Friday. 
because I I have a friend who's a, who's got kids the same age whose husband works. So I mind their kids, her kids on a Tuesday and Wednesday. She goes for her bike ride. Thursday, Friday, she minds mine. I do my thing. And that's where women supporting women, you know, we have to just do that. We, we, we just need to not just sit there and go, well, I can't go because I have no childcare. There are inventive ways of doing it. So, um, and actually I, I do, I, 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 I it's a total testament to Eamon. I am stronger and less injured now after having two kids than before, because he just tells me you need to be doing your strength conditioning. He's done, I do an awful lot of indoor rowing. I'd be on the bike a lot as a runner. I would say maximum I run two times a week, max, because I'm doing all this other stuff, cross training, which keeps me fit aerobically and very strong. And so, and that's what you need to do often when you get older is you need to start doing much more cross training. Um, and it's just because a coach tells me what to do. And I, do, I just look on my spreadsheet in the morning, see what the session is and just do it. And I don't have to think about what I have to do or anything. So, um, so the book, Bump Back and Baby, really kind of goes in those kind of tips about what helped me be strong um, and be able to get back racing, which I really wanted to do then after having two kids. I definitely need to read that book. And I think a lot of people will, will agree. Um, so just before we finish, we are running out of time. I could literally ask you, so I've missed out so many of the questions I wanted to ask. Um, we did just, oh, so interesting. Um, I want to talk to you about, so I'm now two weeks out from my challenge, which when I compare with all of the challenges and things that you have done, it, what I'm doing is, is nothing. It's, is, but you know, it is, and again, we, we talked before we press record about um, the idea of, you know, my challenge is a challenge for me. And I think everybody can relate to what is a challenge for them, can't they? It's, it's that idea of this is my line and this is my challenge. So I am in awe of the stuff that you've done and um, want to learn from your experience of, of all of that. And I know that in Mud, Sweat and Tears, you talk about the challenge that you were doing and you actually start the book talking about an attempt that failed. I don't, I don't I'm like yeah, doing yeah, no, speech marks. I got failed. 24 of the mountains out of 26 and I was like, can't do any more. There's two left, but they're really far away and I'm not going there. I'm just going to go home now. Uh, so yeah, no, but that's the thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with failure. And to be fair, like I learn more from failing than actually completing things. And I think a lot of time whenever we see people doing really well, we forget all the failures that's already preceded it and all the learning that they've had to go through and the tough stuff. So um, I think that's the thing about any challenge is you go in and go, it's okay to fail. It's okay if at day, day five out of seven, I go, you know, I'm going to come back another day. It's like, it's like Sabrina, Sabrina Vergy who did the, the Wainwrights there. Um, she did it on her fourth try. And that I think is the big question, the big, the thing to celebrate is not the fact that she, okay, yes, she beat the men's record and, and she's done something incredible. But for me, it's the fact that she did, it took her four attempts to actually do it. Um, yeah. So we just have to be, embrace things going wrong because then you actually do really succeed. Definitely. And I love the way that you then went back and did And it actually, to me, you know, the reason I sort of put it in, in speech marks is because over the whole course of, of that challenge, you didn't, you didn't fail at all. And, but if you'd stop halfway and you go, oh, well, that's the bit that we're going to look at, then actually you might summarise it as, oh, well, she, felt, she did that challenge and failed. But actually, when you look at the whole story, 
it's it's a different picture and i it makes me think about and so often you know it's the things we the things we do in our our sessions with primary schools you know primary school girls we know that when we talk to them about being brave what does it mean and we talk about you know is it is being brave what's the opposite of being brave and they all say oh it's it's you know it's being scared and we say well, no actually it's not like the be the fear is that opportunity to be brave if you're not scared then there's no there's no brave to be you're just being aren't you so we talk about that and and we know that when we talk to them about the things they're scared of one of the things that comes up time and time again is they don't they don't want to put their hand up in class because they and when you say you know what why not and they say well, we, we don't want to get things wrong and that thing of that you know we are we and I don't know if it if it's more common with women I, I don't know that but I I think that I see it in in little girls this idea of they don't want to be wrong they don't want to get things wrong they don't want to and maybe it is the idea of you know being perfectionist or trying to get things right or whatever but that idea of you don't want to get things wrong, I think is, I I do want to consciously fight that. I don't just want to do, you know, be scared of getting things wrong because that's that's the world that we've all been brought up in. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I, what I love about your books is that they are just so honest and you do talk about things like, um, I made a note that you were petrified before one of your big challenges and I thought that the winter round I I hate running in the dark I am like I don't know what it is I'm scared of things that go bump in the night I really am um so but so then you just kind of put things around you to say okay well that's gonna really scary um so that's why I brought people with me on that winter round because then it wouldn't be so scary um and so you just then manage it in a way. But also as you get older, you do the more, something called amnesia. <laughs> I think I've got amnesia. Every time I did, I did something <laughs> called Cassie's Challenge there about four weeks ago, 85K. And I kind of rocked up and went, oh God, I forgot these are so hard. You know, so, so uh, once you've done a couple of them, you, you then kind of just kind of, your, your brain, you kill brain cells, I think, with endurance running. So the first time's the hardest. But also I'd say to you, Nat, is that, the first, it's the lead up. I find it's the it's the the week before the challenge is the worst, and once you start the challenge and when you've taken your first step, it's fine. But it's the weight. Okay. I find the weight is the worst because you second guess things and then you're looking at the weather and you're saying, oh, should, I'm a, what if this happens? And and I guarantee you, see all the things you're worried about. There's going to be something that you're not worried about, and that's going to happen. <laughs> But so you will not worry. I promise you, you're not worrying about the right, the right thing. Oh no! See, but that, then you see, just got to go. Worries me more now. Like <laughs> I had some, I had a guy who was just who, who was helping to do Dennis Rankin and round, and he was really stressed about what time of the day he should start. He kept on stressing, kept on stressing, and I was like, "Stop stressing. Something that you're not, you're you're not thinking about. You're gonna do." And he did. He accidentally went up one mountain twice. <laughs> he was only meant to do it once and he, did, he accidentally did it twice and I'm like did you worry about that he forgot about he didn't worry about that one but that's what happened so I so there's no point in worrying because the thing is going to happen you're not even going to think of it <laughs> that's good advice I need to either I need to worry about more things now or I need to stop worrying about anything you'll, not, you'll miss something you'll miss it you will um, whatever it is I'll miss it okay Good, good advice and what a brilliant place to end. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story and your advice. Where can we find out more about you and follow your journey? Oh, I've got you, an Instagram. You are on Twitter. Instagram, uh, more O'Sullivan, uh, M-O-I-R-E underscore O'Sullivan and Twitter uh, account more O'Sullivan, all one word. And then I've got my 
Company One Happy Out Adventures on Facebook and Instagram as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Maura. It has been amazing chatting to you. You too. And best of luck with your challenge. Oh, thank you very much. You have been listening to C Sporty B Sporty's Challenges Season, all about taking on big challenges. For more of the same, you can follow at Totally Runnable or hashtag Run in Yorkshire on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can follow my Running Yorkshire journey on social media using hashtag Running Yorkshire. And if you'd like to sponsor me or find out more about my route, you can go to localgiving.org slash Running Yorkshire 2021. That's localgiving.org slash Running Yorkshire 2021. And if you're enjoying C Sporty B Sporty, we would be forever grateful if you could leave us a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For independently produced podcasts like us, it really does make a massive difference to how far a message goes. And you know that is what we are all about. Thank you to everyone who has already left us a message. It really does mean a lot.